You're listening to the Mind Your Business Podcast, episode number 229. Today, we're speaking to Ajit Nawalka about how to live big. So stay tuned. Hi, I'm James Wedmore, and I've built a multiple seven-figure internet business that offers the financial freedom to do what I want, when I want. And I'm the first to say that hard work and hustle are not essential ingredients for your success. So how do you build a thriving business from the inside out? Now with over 2 million downloads, this is the Mind Your Business Podcast. What's up, ladies and gentlemen? James Wedmore here. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the Mind Your Business Podcast. We've got a special treat for you. In a moment, I'm going to bring on Ajit Nwalka, extraordinary entrepreneur. He has held various roles, including CEO of Mind Valley. Mind Valley, ever heard of it? It was a freaking brilliant interview. We talked about a lot of really great stuff that I loved, all in anticipation of his brand spanking new book entitled Live Big The Entrepreneur's Guide to Passion, Practicality, and Purpose. A lot of P's there, and we actually go into breaking that down about why it's important as an entrepreneur that you're ticking off all three of those boxes. What that really means to have passion, practicality, and purpose and how that really creates alignment. It was fantastic. We talk about some very like contrarian perspectives that I love. There are things I'm just like, yes, 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 yes. We talk about bringing intuition more into your business. Boom. You guys are all going to love that. We talk about a very counterintuitive approach to leadership which you might be like, well, I don't, I'm not concerned with leadership because that was me in the early days. I don't, wanna, I don't need to worry about leadership. I just want to start a business. Uh, you might want to learn how to be a leader if you want to attract followers. You might want to learn effective leadership if you want to even have one person part-time working on your team. If you want to change your industry, make a difference, it starts with being a leader and... Ajit just has such a different perspective on it. And I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. So this was fantastic. So much great stuff. And his book is out on Amazon now. I'm going to just recommend you go grab it because it's just like, it's what you need. And it's great. There's no strategies or latest funnel tactics. It's everything else. This is stuff we talk about on this podcast, the mindset component. So we'll get into that in just a moment, but I wanted to update you. Let's see right now. It's days away from our ah, from our magical event bbd live for those of you who have attended one you know what i'm talking about for those of you who are about to attend one you also know what i'm talking about but twice a year we host an event entitled bbd live it's just for our students our clients and our members and this will be our biggest event yet and we actually like turn away a, a lot of people because we like to keep it as small as we possibly can there's me 300 people here we're super excited we host it in my hometown of laguna beach and it's like just a few days away you guys are not gonna believe what i just bought too if you guys follow me on instagram you'll see what i bought i bought off of ebay which you know i'm kind of having a resurgence with ebay i don't know if you guys know this but i used to be like big into ebay back in the day which was a tuesday like when I was in high school, I had an eBay business. I was going to garage sales. I was buying and selling stuff all day long. And, you know, I don't know. I think Amazon just kind of 
took away eBay's luster for me, you know, prime shipping, getting something like the next day versus dealing with some guy in like Idaho who takes three weeks to ship something to you and doesn't know how to pack it and it's broken. But you know, you can find some cool stuff on eBay and I bought, <laughs> I bought a three foot tall, at least three feet. It's as tall as like your door, where the door handle is on your door, Lego figurine. My poor wife was just like, What? And then, of course, I told her how much I paid for it. I was in a bidding war with some guy, and this thing shipped all the way from Germany, Deutschland. And um, I was in a bidding war, and I was like, I'm not losing this. I don't care. I paid over $800 for a plastic Lego figurine that's like the size of a small child. <laughs> Worth it. Worth it. And uh, we were at dinner with friends the other night, and they were like, why did you buy this? And I was like, look, first. All right, here's the deal. First, you can't buy this in stores. This is a store display, right? This is like a store display thing that, that they sell to vendors and retail outlets. And it's in a foreign country. They didn't even make these for any US stores. So it's really special. Still like, we don't care. But then I said, the Lego figurine, and for those who've been hanging around us for a while, just know, the Lego is a symbol for us. And so the Lego figurine is our mascot. And it's our official mascot for BBD Live. So I have this Lego figurine that's going to be there. We might have them on stage as part of our set decoration. We might have them out in a corner where you can get your photo taken with them. We've got all this cool stuff where people can like are building Legos. It comes with plans and there's this, this whole activity where people build Legos and stuff there. And the short version of it is that if you've ever built Legos with your kid or maybe yourself, you know that you just follow a step-by-step -step instruction manual. You kind of can turn your brain off and kind of get into this like trance and just build, 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 put this piece on that piece. And before you know it, you've built like a race car or a spaceship. And our business transformed. It, it just completely transformed. The moment we, my wife and I decided that we were going to build our business the same way that we build Legos. And then we said, we said, we're going to build the Lego instruction manual for online business, for launches, for promotions, for courses, and everything changed. And that's what we ultimately do today is we provide the Lego instruction manual style execution guides for entrepreneurs. And the Lego is just such a symbol for us for freedom because you know that the more structure you put into your business, the more freedom you get back in your lives. So I'm really excited about this. I'm really excited about it. And I just had to share it with you guys. We're really excited about the event. It's going to be an awesome event. If you're not a member of Business by Design yet, we're not opening the doors for a long time, like six or seven more months, get on our wait list, businessbydesign.net. And we'll link that up in the show notes for you. We want to make sure you don't miss that because this is just an epic event. It's unlike any other event that's out there. It's not just like a seminar where a bunch of people that think they know everything are talking to you the whole time while you sit in your seat. I think the event model's broken in that sense what people come for, what they actually come for an event is more connection, more breakthroughs, more action, more results. And we create an environment that facilitates that. And so it's just like people leave just with incredible results and like incredible ideas and incredible connections. And we love it. So it gets me super pumped, super excited. So I'm just days away from it. So Part of my routine now is to do nothing. This is my only like work of the day. I have a float tank scheduled, which I don't know if I've talked to you guys about my float tank experiences. I'll have to do that because wow. 
I've got a massage scheduled every day. <laughs> and then my beautiful wife and I are going to be staying at a very nice hotel and just like room service, laying out. And like, that's what I do to prepare is just like turn my mind off for a couple days. So I'm just like, you know, recharged and refreshed and ready to rock and roll. So this is like my only to do item for the day. Anyways, so enough about me, enough, <laughs> enough about my routine. Let's get into today's interview because I'm really excited to introduce you to Ajit. It was just a great interview super smart guy who's accomplished a lot. In fact, he comes from very humble beginnings. He lived in a house when he was growing up with 23 other people. So obviously like space and money was super scarce. Yet, despite that, he's actually been able to accomplish a lot. He's held various roles, including CEO of Mindvalley, co-founder of Mindvalley Teach, and co-founder of Global Grit Institute. And over the past decade, he has built and sold multiple companies, coached entrepreneurs, and consulted with other companies. And today, his desire to support humanity to an even better future and ignite abundance in business and life is why he has poured his heart, his learnings, and his strategies into his latest book, Live Big, The Entrepreneur's Guide to Passion, Practicality, and Purpose. Ladies and gentlemen, please listen closely. Pay close attention to this very special interview with Ajit Nawalka. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I'm here with the author Ajit Nawalka with the brand new book, Live Big, The Entrepreneur's Guide to Passion, Practicality, and Purpose. Ajit, how are you? I'm good, James. Thank you for inviting me here. Yeah, thank you so much for uh, making the time. As I was telling you before the show in the virtual green room, I just think my audience, our listeners here is going to resonate so much with your message and all that you have to share. But I'm wondering if first we could give a little bit of context. Could you share a little bit about your backstory? I know you come from very humble means and it's a quite an inspiring rags to riches story that you have to share. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. So I, I was born in India. So I'm from India. I was born in a household of about 23 other people sharing the same space. We were 23 because in India, sometimes you end up in a extended family or a joint family, as we call it, in which basically you, your cousins, your parents, cousins, your grandparents, your grandparents, cousins, everybody lives in the same house. So a uh, humble beginning started there. And very early on in my teens realized that one thing that I don't want for my life is to continue living in this house because that house was not only a house that was accommodating 23 people. It meant a lot of shared space. It meant my playroom was my guest room was my bedroom and it was shared with my brother. And if the guests came in, it was shared with the guests. So it was, it was just not a lot of abundance as I grew up. And uh, in that process, in my teens, I decided I, I needed to do something. I needed to get out of the situation, chose the track of education first because that's what you do, uh, right? And especially in India, you're an engineer, you're a doctor, or you're an accountant. If you're none of them, you're probably completely useless and, and are not gonna get anywhere in life or at least the dialogue that we have been told for decades there. So, so because of that, tried to do the whole engineering route, tried to become an engineer, and the process of actually applying to colleges realized that that was my dream. Took the first brave step to inform my father by writing a letter to him saying, hey, I don't think I can do this uh, as much as you have invested a lot of time, money, resources in me, probably all of the time and resources you have. 
I'm just not enjoying doing this. And if I don't enjoy doing this, I'm sure I'm not going to enjoy the next four years trying to become an engineer, which also implies I probably won't enjoy the rest of my life because once I become an engineer, what else am I going to do? That got me started into understanding the world slightly differently. First, as taking that step and saying, hey, I got to do something else, got me inspired to say, what is that something else? And what is that something else came or became more clear to me as I started doing part-time odd jobs. I started reaching out and worked for with the world's largest international student voluntary organization, learned a ton from international world at the time and realized early in life that if I want to get ahead and it was at that time, it was about the money. Eventually it became about anything that I really desire in my life that I really want to experience in my life is you always have to take chances. You have to take chances and you never really know the answer, but you do what's right in your heart and your soul and you go do that and, and hopefully it'll work. And sometimes it won't for the matter. Most of the times it won't, but sometimes when it does work and sometimes when you do find some success, you are going to make great progress and you're going to get to wherever you need to get to. That eventually led me to, to take some chances I started proposing ideas to companies at a very early age and at 20 something, I was already asking the people of the founders of the companies that I was working as sales representative to invest in my ideas and to, and to work with me and to uh, invest in me and so forth. And I was fortunate one of those ideas was taken up while I was in India. This is at, at that time about 15 years ago, what are we, what we're talking about 12, 13 years ago. And one of those ideas took kind of got accepted because it was the new internet world at the time. This is, we're talking about 2007 and it was the new internet in India, especially because in India at some places at my house, I still had the dial up, you know, one of those phone, that type of connection. So uh, we were still trying to figure out how to get good internet in India but starting a startup made me realize that it will be there and it will be the future because it's just the connectivity and the ability of being able to do things. So we, we tried to start a social media company at the time. It wasn't known as social media at the time because Facebook wasn't really there at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as we were trying to build it, Facebook showed up in India and <laughs> killed all my dreams. Uh, yeah. My 20-year-old dreams were destroyed because we knew that we cannot by any means meet that company technologically, we didn't have the technological strength, the vision for it. We just didn't, we just didn't have any asset, the team, anything that we felt that could compete with that giant and mammoth that was coming into India at the time. And so, so I said, okay, I'm calling this quit, quit that and reached out to my friends at that student organization that I worked with, talk about connecting the dots backward. And one of my friends happened to be in Malaysia and they were in Malaysia and they said, Hey, there's this little tiny company. It's a startup. It's like, 10 employees, 15 employees in the company, but you know, they are doing some crazy stuff or seems like something different in the world of internet. And I happen to know that they have an opening. So if you, if you, if you want to try, you can intern there. So uh, that company turned out to be Mind Valley. Uh, which is a company that I'm now most known for because then we had a full 10 year stint where I started as an intern. I mean, we are still partners in the company, but I started as an intern and then for the next five, seven years, really tremendously grew the company in partnership with, of course, other team members in partnership with the founder vision and to the company to the heights that it is today. And that's really where my entire backstory comes from. I, I love that. Thank you for sharing. And it's, it's funny. It's actually the, the first time I really got connected with you was an email. Cause I've been, you know, familiar with, um, mind Valley for some time. And it was an email I got at the end of September of just this last year. And uh, I don't know if you remember writing it or thinking of th- through this, but it started with a, 
one of those animated gifs of, of Gary V talking about like work your effing face off and, um, and just like you going into a real, like a different stance against hustle. And I was like, I got to connect with this guy. Cause uh, <laughs> I just so resonated with that. One of the things I love about your book is yes. You, and I want to go into it about, you know, this, this really, to me, my experience of it is, is this call to arms inviting entrepreneurs or people that want to become entrepreneurs to, to live big, to show up big in a big way. But I love that so much of what you have to share goes against the grain of a lot of what you hear. A lot of the mainstream messages, that first one being like, you got to hustle your face off. And I know you get into some, some great things that are very sound very counterintuitive. And so that's something I really look forward to diving deeper in with you uh, today on this episode. And I know for our listeners who grab your book, I think what there's 25 different um, perspectives, yeah. perspectives and I just resonate with them so much. So absolutely. Yeah. So this is a book, you know, where you start out right at the beginning, like that everyone needs to live big. And I think I wanted to start with the question of, you know, most people don't. Mm-hmm what would you say is the biggest thing that, that really prevents people from living their, their truest life to their fullest potential? Well, mostly the self-doubt of not recognizing who they truly and honestly are. Now, there's twofold answer to it. Firstly, living big is subject to your understanding of living big. My living big is different than James's living big is different than whoever's listening right now with living big. Your definition, our definitions might completely vary. There might be nothing that is similar in the definition that we put out for live big, right? Mm -hmm. So live big, firstly, is a choice even in how you define it, right? Secondly, people think that they don't have choice. People think that they are not capable. People, and this is the most common thing, especially in today's time, is what happens is people think, oh, that person can do it, I can't, because they look like that, they do this, they do that. All that stories that we come up with for ourselves. They've had this great, amazing backstories, why they can tell a better story. They have the, they have the right color face or they, they are mixed ethnicity, so they get more traction. They come up with their own logic, their own stories to be able to justify why they don't have a choice. The thing is, everybody has the choice. Everybody has the capability of saying, I can define what living big looks like for me, and I can then go get it, right? But the, but the challenge usually happens is, firstly, we don't even make the effort of actually defining what does it even mean to live big, mm. right? And it's not just a set of goals of things that you saw on somebody else's hand, and now you want them. It's actually defining what you want for your life from inside out, not outside in really knowing that this is what I want to create in the world for myself, for the world outside. Hopefully whatever you create for yourself does create positive impact for the world outside because it's just a, it's a very nice way of actually going ahead and living your life. So hopefully that is a default that you are already creating positive impact in the world. And then you go do that and it will take the time and effort. And like I was saying, I said it in passing before, you're going to fail a bunch, a ton, then you're going to win a little. And those little wins is all you need to keep moving and making positive progress towards living big. But people quit too fast. People don't define where they want to go. People think they don't have a choice because of some odd reason that they think is the truth, but it's just their truth, their relative truth, not even the absolute truth. Mm, I love that. And I guess for your life, specifically, do you feel like how you've chosen to define what living big looks like? Is that a moving target? Does that change as you continue to grow? I mean, you've accomplished so much. What has that been like, look like for you? So uh, living big in, uh, when I started, it was a moving target always. 
and it is a moving target if I have to actually present what living big looks like by, for me, but it's also something that is very true to the soul. So it's always the same in a way. Let me expand mm-hmm. a little bit on that. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Living big is a function of, like I said, a choice, right? You, you make choices and you say, this is what I want my life to look like. Right. And when we start asking that question, the first few answers are always, well, I would like to have a boardroom, like the one that I'm sitting in right now with 20 other chairs in my house, or I would like to have that in my office, or uh, it might be like, I would like to drive Tesla or a particular type of car, or I would like to live in a particular type of place, a particular type of house or work a particular number of hours. These are things that you start with always, right? And they're, they're great. They need to be a part of living big because that creates the experience of life the way we want for us. Right. The second part of having the choice is also to define what are some of the things that you want to experience at a soul level. So these are your values. These are the things that you want to live moment to moment. So what will change is these experiences that you want in life. It, it always expands. You always want something to chase because chasing is, is a good feeling when you're chasing something and chasing not for the negative and chasing for not to find happiness but to enjoy the journey almost, right? It's, it's almost to enjoy the play, but the play is not there if there's no game, right? And the game has a chase, right? So you want the game because that chase actually makes it interesting. It, it makes your body chemicals go and experience all these different emotions as you are in the game. If there is no game, you are, you're dead. Like there's no fun living in a life where there is no chase, but the chase doesn't define your, your happiness or your joy or your fulfillment to life. Right. What defines your joy, uh, fulfillment to life is the values that you live moment to moment. These values are the secondary thing that will come with deep work and deep realization within yourself. What is it that you want to experience every moment of your life? Mm. What is it that, what is that experience of life that you want every moment to be while you have this big chase that defines on a clearer term in a more visible term, what living big would look like. Right. So it's a twofold answer. Yeah. Sure. Absolutely. And I love this distinction of using the word chase because in the book, you talk about the idea of what most people talk about, which is following your passion. Mm-hmm. And you said that that's not necessarily the greatest advice that it's, it's no. incomplete advice. Could you speak more to that and what that has to do with your values and that soul level desire? So we all have a lot of passions and, and anybody who's listening to it right now, and, and I'm sure you'll concur, James, like we've had so many passions. Like I love cooking. I'm so passionate about cooking. I can cook for a storm for the whole day for a group of hundred. And I would love it. Like I would love every second of it, but that doesn't mean that becomes a practical business for me because the kind of life I want to create for myself has nothing to do with me sitting in the kitchen for 20 hours. Right. So I might become a great chef and might still be pursuing my passion, but has no alignment to what practically I want for life. Right. So there are people who practically want that for life. They want to just like be in it and touch food all the time and find new flavors and create new, new magical outcomes. And I'm grateful for them because I get to experience their great food, but not everybody has the, that passion as a practical approach. They want to live their life. What happens with passion is, a lot of people follow passions based on what they're excited about in that moment. Right. So it's more of their excitement Mm -hmm. than their passion. Yeah. Yeah. It's more like, Hey, okay. I I can, you know, I, I would love to love to do that. That person said, 
they're coaching and you know they get to impact lives i like the ring of it i want to impact lives that's that's not how a reason you become a coach because if you will become a coach just because of the ring of it in the moment you're not going to stick with it when the time becomes hard and in business time always becomes hard yeah. there's equal hard times as much as there's joyous times right mm-hmm. there's equal slog hours like there are free hours where you're doing nothing at all right business is is, is a dance right so you, so you got to understand that if you're going to chase a passion that passion needs to be something that you've sustained for a very long time i'm a coach I have been coaching for God many years before I even got the title as a, as a coach because that's what I love. I write books. I've been writing longer. My first book came out only last year, <laughs> but I've been writing way longer than that, right? Because I would do it even if I didn't get paid for it, right? I would still write. I would still cook. I would still I would still coach. But for cooking, I couldn't make a practical purpose for it. So I said, "Hey, that's passion for my wife." right? She gets to experience it. My friends get to experience it, but everything else, Hey, writing, could I make it practically applicable as a business? Yes. Coaching. Could I make practically applicable as a business? Yes. Does my passion for education become practically applicable as business? Yes. So those are the things that I do. I'm not doing this other stuff that I think I'm passionate about. So passion, just chase your passion or follow your passion is often bad advice because people just think whatever is interesting to me right now, I should just chase it. Or they add so much to it. Like, Oh, I need to find my passion. I need to find my passion. I need to find my passion. Guess what? Your passion, you already know. You're just ignoring it, trying to find your passion. Right. You didn't leave it under the couch or something like I lost (laughs) it. (laughs) You're not going to find it like that. That's not how you find your passion. But I'm also hearing too, that when you talk about like following your passion isn't good advice. It's, it's not that it's, it's not good business advice. Like yeah. you followed your passion of cooking, but you didn't turn it into a business. And then, yeah. you know, you can let a passion be a passion. That's a oh, hobby. Yeah. That's yeah, just yeah. you enjoy doing, but it doesn't mean, Oh, I'm going to go turn this into a business. And I, I think that is important because we've got to have that logical side. Like, Will people pay for this passion? Is this actually solve a problem that people are willing to pay for? Yeah. Uh, will people pay for it? And will people pay enough for it that yeah. you actually would continue to do it? Because people will pay me to cook. They will just not pay enough <laughs> that I would right. be able to live the life that, <laughs> yeah. I, that, that I would be able to live the life that I want to in the limited number of hours I want to invest doing it. And let's be honest, the restaurant business is one of the toughest businesses to be in anyway. So yeah. yeah. But what I am hearing too is that being a coach, being a writer or the process and action of coaching itself and writing taps into the fulfilling those soul level values for you. Yes. It fulfills something for you. And then it becomes our job to say, okay, where, where does that become something that I can live off of and pay the bills and hopefully more than, which I really love. So don't just follow your passion blindly and try and turn that into a, a business. There's also a lot of other um, really just like, what I would call just contrarian or counterintuitive insights that you have into business, which I love and I want to get into, but you mentioned the word alignment mm-hmm. and I always love that word. What is alignment in, in the context of business and as being an entrepreneur, what does that mean to you? So alignment for me is where my passion, my purpose, and my practicality, all three elements that I say you need to consider as an entrepreneur to start or, or grow any company when they are in sync with each other, they kind of serve each other in in a way where it kind of fits it together. Like it's almost like a glove that fits, not the glove that's too big or too small, but glove that fits, right? So for example, and I'm just giving my example because it's easy to understand, especially because we're talking about the book, right? So I love writing. 
I love coaching and I love the education side of things. I love being educated. I love educating myself as a person. Right. So these are things that are, I, I was always passionate about. Even if you, even if before I started any company or, or did anything, this is what I was doing. This is before I became an intern at a company, which was an education company like mine. I was doing this even before that. Right. So, so these are things that have stayed with me for over a decade and a half at this point. Right. So these are things that I was pursuing already. Right. So I said, Okay, so these are the things that I really like to do. What I also believe is that we as human race should be always trying to move the needle a little bit further or the line a little bit forward to create more positivity and greatness in the world and to be able to live the most impactful lives of ourselves so we can have the greatest joy in, in our lives and also be able to create a sustainable environment for the next generation, the generations to come and always mm. keep making progress as humanity. And that's my purpose to the world, mm. right? I want to be able to create positive progress and that's all it is, right? So I said, okay, does education help create positive progress? Oh, it does, right? Does my writing help create positive progress? Yes, it does. If I am able to coach leaders and other businesses, does it create positive progress? Yes, it does. Well, that's an alignment right there. Now I got to see if this is practical. Can I build a team and a business that pays my bills and the bills of my team members and then a little bit cheese on the side? If you're vegan, then cashing that cheese on the side. Does it pay for that? Yeah, absolutely. It can do that. Now, that's a perfect alignment. It's succinct. It fits into each of the mold very, very beautifully. And that's so, what an alignment looks like. I, I love that. I think it's a great definition there. Your passion, this thing that you love doing, does it have a function in the world? Does yeah. it produce some result bigger than you? That's when your passion is in alignment with your purpose. And then in you, are you doing it in such a way that it makes sense? that yeah. it's practical from a financial sense, that it's sustainable, all that. Check those three boxes off. You have alignment. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah, that's all I like to see it. Yeah. I love it. So you have 25 different perspectives that you go into in the book. And, and I think what I'd love to do is go into uh, just a few and go really deep with them. Ones that really stood out to me and really resonated that I think I want our listeners to hear about. And then they're just going to have to get your book to get the rest of them. <laughs> but the one I really liked is this idea of intuitive intelligence hmm. and what that looks like. Can you set the stage for us on that one? Sure. So James, you must have seen this oftentimes in your business and it happens with a lot of successful entrepreneurs is we end up talking to our team or our colleagues and we say some idea and our, and our team and our colleagues thinks you're crazy. Right. Has that been happened all the time? Right? Wife. <laughs> yeah. Wife, completely like you're, you're crazy. That makes no sense. It's not going to work. Right. And then you put that idea to action and it works and works like a charm for that matter. People go, wow, that's, that's the thing I was looking for all this while. Where were you? Mm -hmm. Right. And that's, that's intuitive intelligence at play. So this is when you are actually being intuitive and intelligent about it. So you see, Intuition is a very complicated subject that people try to simplify. It's, it has a bend of spirituality and it has a bend of practicality. It has both the bends and it's actually one of the less harnessed and researched things that are out there. What I try to do in the book is I try to say, okay, can we make sense of intuition? Can we present a case for intuition and also suggest how to build it? not in an overly spiritual way, which of course, if you want to tap into, and if, if you're open to that idea, there is a lot more depth that we could go into as, as a subject of intuition, because it is a, it's a great skill and great ability to have as an entrepreneur. But let's stick to what I talk about in the book, because that's more succinct and you can actually utilize what I talk about, right? Sure. So 
intuitive intelligence comes from the idea of saying all entrepreneurs need to be more intuitive because that's how great products are created, right? You, you just come up with these ideas in the shower or whatever that is for you. And, and you're like, damn, this is going to crush it. People think that it's crazy, but usually it's right. And you only realize in time because you pursue that idea and continue to pursue it, even if everybody was against it, right? So how do we get these more of these ideas, right? That's, that's really what intuitive intelligence are about. Can we be intuitive all the time or most of the time? What I found is intuitive intelligence works, and this is more with the brain chemical or composition you can say, is basically our subconscious is always taking information. While somebody might be doing something else while listening to this podcast, they're taking all the information off this podcast, if not consciously, subconsciously. It's still getting to them. It's still sticking with them in that vault, that vault that is usually not very easy to access, right? Because it's, it's almost like I need to collect all the data because I don't know what data is going to kill me right? Or what information I need that will kill me. So my unconscious is collecting everything and throwing to the conscious what might be relevant. In the sense, if you are driving a car, your conscious is still thinking about the road, hopefully not your phone, because that is what's going to kill you, not your Instagram account. And subconsciously, you are getting all the other data, like listening to this podcast and getting all the information, right? Now, your subconscious has reservoir of insane amount of education, right? But at the same point in time, you can feed very specific information to your subconscious too, right? By listening to podcasts like this, by programs, seminars, information courses, education courses, relevant trainings as, as they come along, you keep feeding your brain all that insight, right? The mistake that entrepreneurs do is once they're fed all that insight, they never give their subconscious the time to actually process all that insight, right? Now think about it like this. You have just given an amazing amount of data to your subconscious, which is like a supercomputer. Your, your conscious is a computer and your subconscious is a supercomputer because it's collecting way more data points than what your conscious is, right? So your subconscious is collecting so many data points, it's ready, but there is no space for it to process because it's constantly collecting data points, right? And yeah. because it's constantly collecting data points, it has no time to actually process the data points. What happens is if you wanna develop intuitive intelligence, you wanna A, feed your system really effectively by giving relevant information. Stop giving bullshit information like, like irrelevant trainings and irrelevant ideas that are just out there, right? And that's where you become an expert or not become an expert. A lot of times people just learn things for the sake of it, which is fine once in a while, but, but if you really wanna build something, study the same thing really, de really, really deliberately and deeply is how you become really good at it because your subconscious will take all that information. And then when you give your subconscious a break, which usually happens when you do the most mundane, boring things that you ever can is when your intuitive intelligence kicks in. Mm -hmm. And when your subconscious goes into processing all that data mode and create new ideas. Here's one of the classic examples, which is why I asked you that question is have you got ideas in your shower, right? Yeah. All it's the time. All the time, right? Because that's the time when you give your subconscious the most mundane thing to do, take a shower. Yeah. Because you're not thinking, you're not thinking about anything. You're just enjoying the water falling on your face. Right. Because mm -hmm. you're just like, Hey, this is so relaxing. Especially if it's after a workout, you're like, Oh my God, this is so relaxing. Thank you. And you're there for an extra five minutes. And that's when the idea kicks in. That's how fast your subconscious is. It how processes is that much in that little time. How is this even enhanced or changed having this distinction and awareness of intuition being like the bridge between the conscious and the subconscious? Like now you're deliberate about it. It's not like accidentally, why do I get ideas in the shower? It's like, I'm going to go take a shower because I know that's when my ideas are going to come. So, so one of the things that I talk about a little bit in the book and, and a lot of my trainings is why you should not work that hard. Yeah. 
right? And and people go, well, why why shouldn't I work that hard? I want to be this successful or this or that. I'm like, because that idea that will make you that successful usually has to come through your intuition. It is very hard to come up with great ideas by reading a white paper on something. That's mm-hmm. you taking information. A great idea is never a copy of somebody else's idea, which is also one classic thing that people go, oh, somebody else is doing this, I should do it, right? That's yep. not how you build a great business. You will still be able to get by and it's great, but if you really want to build something that's phenomenal, it will be different and it will be extraordinary and that will come from your intuition or your subconscious more than your conscious rational brain. It will come from your irrational brain. And, and, it's, and that's why you need to take all those breaks that you think that you don't need. And by taking breaks, it doesn't mean this. <laughs> you go and scroll over Instagram for two hours and you say, I'm taking a break because yeah. that's data point still going in. Yeah. Right? For our audio listeners, he was grabbing his phone and scrolling on Instagram. <laughs> so yeah. That is not resting. Yeah, that's that is not resting. Facebook yeah. is not resting. Instagram's not resting. It's got to be rest. It's got to be doing nothing. It's got to be boring as hell. It will feel boring as hell until you realize that actually that is why your brain does great work after. There's a, there's a fun clip between Bill Gates and I think Warren Buffet. Yeah, Bill Gates and Warren Buffet where, and I think it's Charlie Rose that's interview, interviewing them. Mm-hmm. And Bill Gates says, take the notebook of Warren Buffet, his calendar, which is really complex. It's basically a pocketbook that he carries. It's like that's his calendar, open it up. And Charlie Rose opens the, I think it's Charlie Rose. I could be wrong about the guy who's doing it, but, but it's, he opens it up like this is just empty. But like that's his schedule. That literally is a schedule. He has a thing in like 10 days from now, which has an hour block. Rest of his schedule is just doing nothing. Mm-hmm. He just simply reads all day and does nothing. And yeah. that's how you become a multi-billionaire and the most wealthy person in the world by doing I, absolutely nothing. I love that. And, and if you are only relying on hard work and working harder, you're saying that's your competitive advantage, right? Versus innovation or intuition or creativity and that's so easily replicatable. Anybody can work harder. You know, anyone can. Oh yeah. And, yeah. and honestly, like if you really, let's talk real, let's get really real here. Right. Any company that can hire 10 employees more than you is working harder than you. <laughs> you already lost. Yep. Right. If you're getting into the coaching game, I'm working way harder than you because I have employees. Yep. Mm-hmm. Right. If you have no employees, right. So hard work's not going to cut it. It's not like you can try work hard. It's fine. If that's listen. Okay. There is one thing for sure. If you are somebody who just loves working hard. Right. And that's the thing with Gary Vaynerchuk, right? I love the guy. He loves working hard. He just can't shut down. It's fine. Like if that, if he knows that is true for him, good on him, go Mm -hmm. do what you got to do. There's nothing wrong with that. The problem is when people think that's the way to do it. No, the, the way to do it is he knows what the heck he needs to do and he's doing that. That's the same thing for you. You got to know what the heck is right for you and you got to do that. It's exactly like what I am saying is also not the right thing for you. You got to find that right thing for you. What I'm giving you is a way to think about it. Yeah. Right. Love- it's, what he's doing is giving you a way to think about it, but go do what's right thing for you. I love that. And going back to talk a little bit more about the intuitive intelligence, do you feel like there's also like a big part of really like surrendering or letting go in that process because it's like you really have to be willing to trust let mm-hmm. go of the little conscious intellect that's trying to have all the answers and figure it all out and is that has that been your experience as well it's kind of like up oh, i know the right answer will come to me yes and and you have to be patient about it because sometimes when you're processing so much and 
so much that is required to really come up with a unique idea. Sometimes intuition also gives you misinformed ideas as well. So you'll get a few bad ideas as well in, in that time when you're not doing anything, but you'll also get a few good ideas. And, and what you got to do is just to be able to, like you said, trust. Mm-hmm. Trust the, just the process of saying, Hey, this is what is coming to me. Does it feel right? Do that gut check and go mm-hmm. for it and see what happens. Don't be scared of the failure. Don't get too excited with your success because that's also temporary. Just keep working the thing and enjoy the game. Uh, if you can enjoy the game and not feel judged by it, not feel that that defines you, the game can't, mm-hmm. it shouldn't define you. The game is the game. The game is there to play and make, progress with and see how you can trick yourself into the next level and keep winning in the context of your winning. And that's really what could be the fuel because we all know really successful companies have gone down. So it's nobody, there's no point where you will be guaranteed mm-hmm. success. There happily will be ever no after. Yeah. There is no happily ever after. Yeah. I was very interested with what you said about don't get too excited about success. And I would love for you to touch more upon that and and why you say that. So this is my personal belief, at least I I feel life is, and actually not just my personal belief. I steal this quote from Alan Watts and I paraphrase him every time anybody asks me that question. Alan Watts is a philosopher. He's passed now. He wrote a book called the book. And one of the things that he, that he was as his philosophy, he used to suggest was that we treat life like a journey, but I feel life is more like music. If you think about a journey, usually people go, oh, there's a destination there where finally I'll have the virgins and I'll be happy or whatever that thing is, right? So that is life being a journey. Life being music means you don't wait for the end of the music to enjoy the music, right? That's not the point of the music. The point of the music is the music, right? The high notes, the low notes, the not so good notes, the great notes. You enjoy the music. You enjoy the dance. There's no point in getting to a point in the dance. Like there is no point of the end of the music. It's great if it goes out with a bang, but if not, there's a lot of great music that just goes silently, right? So, so if life was like music, there is no, no reason for you to, I'm not saying you will be excited about success, celebrate it. I celebrate my success all the time, right? It's celebrated daily if you can, right? Mm-hmm. So, and that's expressing gratitude. That's a celebratory process too. And I do that on a daily basis, but don't get caught up in the idea of, oh, now I made it because that's right. also what happens, right? That we, we have all met that cocky person that yeah. thinks they've got it, they've done it all and now they're the shit, right? Yeah. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of self-importance, a lot of self-importance that really comes yeah. up. And Double. that happens because you get success and you feel like, all right, I'm, I made it. I'm the guy. I'm the man. I'm the girl, right? It, I'm better no, than you or, or something. I'm like better that. than you or I've done more than you or so forth. It's not. It's, it's just you, you're living an experience and I'm living an experience. My experience is completely different to your experience. All right. And I'm doing the best I can. You're doing the best you can. And great. If you have a little bit more money, enjoy it. You don't have to make that the point of uh, that's uh, the point is not, not to celebrate it. The point is to say, don't get too attached to your success because that's also as temporary as your failure. Yes. Yeah. And just like, a, and that's a, that's a delicate, but beautiful dance of like gratitude and, and humility. Yeah. Which it's I love to add that. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. And I love the Alan Watts reference. That's fantastic. Okay. My last question I have to ask around the intuitive intelligence, because you mentioned that there's both a practical side, which is what you talk about in the book. And it's what you talked about here. This idea that, you know, the subconscious is what could be driving the car while you feel like you're not even paying attention at times. Mm -hmm. Um, But then there's a spiritual side. And I'm just curious, we don't have to dive into it too much. 
do you incorporate that in your life at all? Is there a, a spiritual intuition or relationship, a spiritual relationship to intuition in your, your life? For me personally, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, I am a very spiritual person. Mm-hmm. Generally, I don't, I don't share a lot about it. It's my own spirituality. I like to keep it with myself. I'm not religious. I am very spiritual. I'm atheist for, the, uh, for that matter. In my spiritual practices, of course, there's meditation. There's a lot of training of the mind. I also have some energy healing practices that I like to practice for myself. Mm-hmm. Sometimes for family, but mostly for myself. This is my own personal spiritual journey that I like to have. And I've found, um, I've used some um, unorthodox ways, including psychedelic as well to reach that I would think still are our uh, spiritual states mm-hmm. that take away the conscious awareness from us and allows us to be tapping into unconscious. I, again, I don't know if that I, I, some, I can go to many tangents, man. I don't know if I'm I, serving I, the audience or now the audience is going, what the heck's up with this guy? Not at all. Uh, that, that's our audience <laughs> right, right yeah. there actually. And it's cause it's funny. Cause in the book, you kind of mentioned like, I know some of this sounds a little woo, and yeah. our listeners always love when we dive into the, the woo woo deep end, but no, I mean, I really appreciate that you're willing to, to share that. Cause I, um, I kind of sense that from the book, but you know, most people like, or a lot of people aren't necessarily open to that, but I have to assume that, you know, having been a part of mind Valley that, you know, the culture is <laughs> very open to that there. Right. So oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. We, we were very spiritual back yeah. in, back at home office. Yeah. <laughs> well, I even remember, um, I think it was some present presentation speech that vision did around the, uh, what was it called? The ha- no happiness is the new productivity. Yeah. Uh, which was this uh, beautiful message of just like combining gratitude for the present moment and excitement for the future and how that had a direct increase in, in revenue and growth. And so like, yeah. you know, we always want to blend as much of that mental, emotional and spiritual game into business as possible here. Yeah. One thing else that really stood out to me, that I just love because one of the things that I work a lot with, with my students at, at a higher level, these are clients that are looking to go from six to seven. And we even have clients that want to go from seven to eight figures. And that takes, you know, a lot of leadership training that kind of, I kind of start mm-hmm. to call it the, the death of the entrepreneur because they have to step into a, a role of being a, a bigger, more powerful leader. And you have such a beautiful perspective on leadership, which is entitled being a leader of none. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that. Could we create a conversation around that? Can you speak to that? Absolutely. So, and, and this is my firm belief. And after, after building a few businesses and working with several companies as well, I can, and I'm sure you agree with it. And that's why we're talking about this is entrepreneurs don't, I mean, entrepreneurs start the companies, but teams make the company successful. Yeah. It's always the people that we hire and we engage that either grow the company or take the company down because there is a point in our business where we are not the person that makes the company. We can't possibly make the company. And even if you're paying people, it doesn't mean they're going to do the quality that you require to create a distinguished brand and a distinguished persona and something that is true and honest to you. Right. So teams are very important. And unfortunately in entrepreneurship, we don't really talk about teams as much. We don't talk about hiring, right. And keeping the people and working with them. And, and a lot of entrepreneurs have a lot of resistance with teams and they only want to work with a virtual assistants and so forth. And as we talk more and more about it, we realize it's because of the, because of the ego that we have as entrepreneurs, we tend to think that I made this happen, right? I am the reason why this works. 
I am everything in this ecosystem, mm-hmm. right? And when that happens, and that's, that's a good attitude to have somewhat when you're doing your first six figures or whatever, because at that time, there is no team. You are the team, so you got to get all the ego to fuel you. And that's like tapping into your dark side a little bit and saying, you know what, I'm going to use this ego to actually get on stage, even if I have like two clients, right? Mm-hmm. That's, that's, <laughs> you got to fuel your ego at the time, but, but it's like carrying the same baggage that you had for decades or as a teenager into your 30s and 40s, right? You can't carry the same baggage in your 30s and 40s and still have a beautiful life. And you can't have a seven-figure business and carry the baggage of your ego and still build a company that is self-sustained and grows with time, right? So what I dive into that particular chapter is an approach to thinking about leadership slightly differently. I call it leader of none, which basically means I'm not the leader. I'm not the one that makes the company change the process saying we make the company. Mm. There, are, there are two reasons for it. One is with time, with that practice of saying, I am not the company, we are the company, allows you to take your ego out of the equation and build a company on a foundation of love, right? Which is a much stronger foundation than ego. And you can try it and you can try it for relationship because it's something that you might be experiencing right now. If you are in one is what is it when the relationship is beautiful, when you're operating from love or from ego? And answer should be obvious to you right in this moment right now. And that's the same for business. Business is no different. Business is a, is a bag of relationships. If you have clients, you're in relationships. If you have teams, you're in relationships, right? So, so if we can change the foundation of ego and replace it with the foundation of love or have the foundation of love and love only, it allows you to be able to create a greater and better business. Second, when you actually say, I'm not the leader, we are the team, we are the leader, you all win or you are the leader of this, you share a responsibility that actually a team always wants. You see, teams of people who are not starting their own companies, our employees are looking for a community. They're mm-hmm. looking for, hey, who is it that I can hang out with that I love and I would die for, right? They are looking for a leader. They are looking for somebody to die for, not, not actually die for, but you know what I mean, right? Yeah. So, so they, they want to go behind someone. They want to go and by behind. It doesn't mean they're actually behind you, but they with someone is probably a better word. They want to be with someone. They want to follow with some that chase that you have as a vision of your company, give them the shared responsibility of creating some, they find responsibility in them. And so they come back to you and create that possibility within your company. And that's important and super powerful. And most entrepreneurs don't get to experience it, unfortunately, because again, we don't give that onus to our teams. We don't treat our team as part of the team, as the part of the family. They, we treat our team almost as people that we hire to do tasks. And when that happens, then they just do tasks. They don't build companies for you. Mm. Oh, so true. And, uh, you know, when I first started building a team, I think my, I really started building my team around 2014. I started like obsessing and pouring into all these management books and none of what you said was in any of the management books I read. And these are like the classics, like the ones that have stood the test of time by very <laughs> CEOs, leaders, and managers. And none of what you said is in there. And, uh, and I, I mean, everything you just said, like, this is why I wanted to share it is exactly how we've built our company. Our core value begins with leads with love. I don't call people employees. We are, we are a team. You are a team member. We are in this together. And I say, even though I'm like the face of the podcast and all this stuff, I'm just another member of the team with you. And, uh, and that's powerful, James. Not, not many people realize that that's really powerful. What you just said. Yeah. And 
I mean, like, I'm just so happy to hear you say this because it's not, <laughs> it's not the common message that's been, that has been shared. And I, and I don't hear it being shared very often. Is this just like, how did you learn this? Like, where did this, is this from your own personal experience? Like, did you do it all wrong and make a bunch of mistakes or what? Oh yeah. yeah. I did it right. I did it wrong. And then I did it right again. It was almost like that. I, I went through a relearning of the whole process. So I learned this first time in the student organization I was a part of. It's a phenomenal organization. Anybody who has kids going to college, if your city has an organization called ISEC, Beautiful organization, great leadership experience for me very, very early on. So in that organization, what happened is a bunch of teams, right? That bunch of like really college people, right? If you want to control, so basically this is the situation. These are all 18, 19, 20 year olds, male, females together, basically like in a fraternity almost. It feels like a fraternity when you're actually in it, like a fraternity where you actually want them to do work. It's not bing pong parties or beer parties or whatever different parties that fraternities have. It's actually, you have to do work. You go to companies and make appointments and make sales. Uh, You go to people, make appointments, make sales. You strike deals, you talk to NGOs, right? You're doing real world work in that organization. Now think about how boring that is for uh, for somebody who's in college Mm -hmm. or in, in their teens, right? So how do you rile up people like that? right? How do you motivate a bunch of people who just want to drink and party to say, you know what, stop all of that, go to work instead. (laughs) (laughs) And here's the thing, I'm not going to pay for it. And here's another thing, you're going to pay for your own gas, plus any other seminar that you attend at Pitra, Mm -hmm. right? The only way to motivate them was to let them have the responsibility and joy of knowing that they are in charge. That's what my first training wheels were. But when I got into business, I did the same thing that you did. I read all the management books. I read all of them. I'm like, oh, that's not the way to lead, right? You need structures. You got to tell them exactly what needs to happen and do this and do that and do review processes and like fire them fast or stuff Mm -hmm. like that, right? And all of that advice changed my leadership style for a minute. Like in, in the middle, I was just like this regular corporate leader until eventually I realized again that that wasn't serving me. People were not staying with me. They didn't remember me as their leader. They didn't remember, they didn't stick with the company for longer. They were not really growth drivers of the company. And so I switched back to that old leadership style I had learned in a student organization and said, let's flip the switch. Let's see what happens. And now I, my employees stay, people say millennials leave. My employees don't leave. I have a different problem. I never, I, I, when I hire a talent, it's like I've hired for at least three years because I know they will only move on when they want to move on the country or they want a different job that I don't have available or something like that. But that's a great thing. Think about the continuity in my company. I don't, that's why I don't have to work so much is because I have continuity in my company and my team's just super solid. They understand exactly what I need or what I, what, what I want and what does the company want and where we want to go. So it's beautiful. Yeah. I love that. And I saw a study recently and who knows, of course, how accurate it is, but it says that uh, 60% of millennials claim that they would choose a 40 K a year salary doing something they love versus a hundred K salary doing something that they hate. And, um, more of our audience, more of our generation. Uh huh. Yeah. So this is awesome. And I could of course continue geeking out and talking to you about this as well as the other uh, perspectives you offer in the book. Um, but I want to be mindful of your time and our audience's time. And I want to make sure that they pick up a copy of your book. So we'll link it up in the show notes, but do we just, what's the best like call to action to get people to, to get the book right now? Just go to Amazon or do you have sure. a link? You can go to Amazon. You can type in live big, the book there or live big, there, or just go to live big, the book.com L I V E B I G T H E B O O K live big, the book.com. It's available internationally. 
there are many options, Amazon, Barnes and Nobles, whatever you, wherever you want to get the book from, they're all available on the website. It also tells you a little bit more about what's inside the book. So it's, it's a great place to go check that out. And just so you know, as a part of the book, we give a full 21 day program, which the link for that you see when you get the book, it's inside there for you to use these tools that we talked about in the, even a more advanced way inside the, inside the membership program, because there was only that much we could fit into the book. So whatever we couldn't really fit, which was a little bit further advanced is all in that 21 day program, which you get for absolutely free. Awesome. And thank you for that. And we'll link all that up in the show notes. And I, again, I, I just love this so much because, you know, this isn't a book full of modern day marketing strategies and uh, funnels this is the other piece, which I think is, is really the big piece. You know, <laughs> we talk about on this podcast, which yeah. is what's in between your ears and how to master that mental, emotional roller coaster. That is this music that we're playing called being an entrepreneur. And I just, I love all the perspectives that you shared. I think this is um, really great stuff. So thank you. really excited for you and, uh, and all the people you're going to inspire and help with this book. Any, um, final thoughts or comments before we uh, wrap this episode up? I think I would like to end with how we started. Remember, you could be doing any type of business right now. It might feel it's the tough times, it's the hard times that you don't have the choice, that you have to fit the mold or you have to be like something or like somebody. You don't. You have that choice. It will irrespective of whatever you do, you have to do, or you have to go through that music of building a business, see it as music, see it as play. You have the choice of creating exactly what you want to create. Start with where you want to create. What is it? Start by defining what is it that you want to create and then go create it. And we'll meet someday somewhere and say, hi, if you meet somewhere. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Go out there, live big and play that music. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast and thank you, thank you to our listeners for tuning in. We'll see y'all next week here on the mind your business podcast. Take care. Did you know eight out of 10 businesses fail within their very first 18 months? I believe being an entrepreneur means unlearning everything that we've been taught our entire lives about what it really means to be successful, which is why I've created a brand new audio program entitled Activate. I wanna show you how to think, act, and behave like the successful entrepreneur that you were meant to be so you can step into the vision that you have for your life and your business. And the best part is this program is yours absolutely free. To register right now, simply visit www.jameswedmore.com forward slash activate and we can get started right now.